The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Lovely Tuesday to you all. Good day to you. I think it's Tuesday, right? Did that start of the show? Forgot what day it was. Two weeks from the start of the NBA season. How the hell did this happen? I want to act excited. I mean, I am excited about it, but I'm mostly just petrified at how the hell we got to two weeks from the start of the NBA season. It feels... It feels like we've cheated somehow. Like we cheated we cheated the game. We we found some weird code and we we plugged it in and the NBA just refreshed. The the playoffs ended 2 months ago. And then the baseball playoffs ended like 2 weeks after that. And then football and both footballs are going and college basketball is going. We're we're in this very weird well, whatever. You guys know this is a strange year. Things will eventually settle back into normal, but there's a lot going on these days. Woo! Hello, by the way, hello. Uh, I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I should probably do the, the opener here. Should I not? I should. At Dan Vespers on Twitter. Appreciate all of you guys that have been finding me on social media. Not that many questions coming in so far, which is uh, unusual. Usually, this is a time of year to be peppered with draft and other related queries, but uh, cool. I mean, it, you know, I don't have that much time anyway, but happy to help if you guys want to hit me up on Twitter at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Hoopball. That's the easy way. Dan from Hoopball is the Google search. My Twitter uh, account is probably the third thing down. Go ahead, click on that and uh, give me a follow. So that's much appreciated. Hoopball, of course, you can follow at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter. And the reason that I always present these at the front end of the podcast is, well, number one, I'm addicted to social media like the rest of us here on this planet. But number two, we are on kind of the the last legs here of hoop ball leagues. It seems like requests have slowed now. I think everybody's kind of in the leagues they're going to be in. We did... I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I, I forget. I might not have. We did ultimately open up a an additional head-to-head cash league. We ended up with enough people on that wait list that we were able to to open up one more league, and we'll do that again. So if a bunch of you decide here at the last minute you want to join a, a, a hoop ball league, hit me up. Uh, I think, like, uh, well, most of the drafts are going, but obviously if we start a new league, we'll start the draft in a couple of days. So, like, if we fill up a league today, we'll probably start the draft on Thursday. If we fill up a league tomorrow, probably start the draft on Friday. After that, I think we'll probably just slam it shut. So this is your last call to get on the wait list for this year. After that, you can still hit me up if you want to get on a wait list, meaning... You know, about two months or so, usually, this year was different, usually about two months before the start of the season, we send out an email to everyone that was in a hoop ball league last year asking if you want to play again. Most people say yes. We get a lot of leagues filled up very quickly that way. And then it's about, you know, adding additional people. So basically, if you want to be on that list, the, hey, do you want to get into this league here first before, you know, we start, we put out the call to everybody, 
that's a reason to get on our wait list also. So hit me up on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Those are the same places you can hit me or, again, at Dan Vespers or teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com is the email address. If you'd like to be part of our recruiting efforts right now, we're looking for blurbers for the site, DFS folks, folks that are experts in gambling. Uh, we need folks to cover teams. We have about 10 team podcasts if we want to... Uh, if you want to cover a team, if you've got a favorite club that you just follow like crazy and you love the sound of your own voice, all of these good reasons to bug me at Dan Vespers or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Okay, I know that's front-end stuff that's not important to a lot of you guys, but I, it's it's for you. It's for the listener. It's not like I'm doing an advertisement. This is stuff I think is... It's fun. You know, if you want to be in a hoop ball league, this is the last chance to do it. This, however, is a promo. The hoop ball fantasy pass remains just $4.99 for a limited time. The fantasy pass has access to the Brewski 150, which, as he told us on Friday, is about a 9 out of 10 on the aggression scale this year. And he's really, really excited about it, largely because everybody had to do things so fast and there's so much movement. Chaos creates avenues for wins. The Fantasy Pass also has dynasty ranks, punt strategies, positional tiers, depth charts, schedule grids, streaming charts, projections, access to pros. We're going to be having Discord chats with the pros every weekday night during the season and video Q&As with the pros multiple nights per week. It is dynamite. Get it. Just $4.99 over at hoop-ball.com per month. Uh, if you get it now, there is a sort of a lock-in because you get all the draft stuff. If you actually wait and get the Fantasy Pass after the season starts, there's no monthly commitment. It's just $4.99, and, and at that point, you could cancel whenever. So please check it out, hoop-ball.com, the Fantasy Pass. It's got all the stuff except the Wager Pass, which, if you want to add those two together, you get the HoopBall 360. Wager Pass, of course, is our HoopBall gaming division which uh, was new last year, and then, you know, the, the premium side is new this season as well. So please do check out all that great stuff over at HoopBall. We'll be forever grateful to you. This is how we power the locomotive at HoopBall, uh, and so do check that out immediately. Coming up on today's podcast, we'll have a chat with our good buddy Alex Ricklin, a fellow lover of uh, fantasy quiet value guys, kind of old man squad types. I think historically he ends up with Brooke Lopez in every draft that's ever happened. Except this one, we'll be breaking down the results of our industry mock draft, which actually happened a week ago today. That was that video over at the HoopBall YouTube channel, if you want to check that out. It's uh, youtube.com slash C slash HoopBall. That's the, the HoopBall YouTube page. You can subscribe over there. It's one of the most recent videos. Um, I know some of our podcasts get sort of ported over there. But if you look at the videos from last Tuesday, you will see the video industry mock draft. Uh, so Alex, who had the first overall pick, will be breaking down his team. And later on in the podcast, we have our last of the six divisions to go over. We'll finally hit the Pacific Division. That's all coming up on today's show. Without further ado, let's get rolling. This is always an easy one for me because what have we disagreed? I think we've disagreed like one time in three years of going over these mock draft results. Fellow lover of old men, Alex Rickley, back on the show. Uh, hey, Dad, how you doing? 
I'm doing great. Thanks. <laughs> Fellow lover of old men is, uh, you know, been a title I've had for many years. Yeah. That's, that's what people call me. <laughs> we do well with that, right? You just kind of, you yeah. got to lean into it a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a funny descriptor for someone abstract of fantasy, but it also, it's a it's good fantasy strategy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, there's a, there's a context thing happening here where if somebody were to <laughs> just put that clip on the internet and not know what podcast it's from, actually even knowing what podcast it's from, it's still a little bit weird, but whatever. I think everybody listening is fairly used to me just talking to myself. And so at this point it's like, all right, well now Dan's just torturing someone else. Uh, you can follow Alex on Twitter, by the way, at, his last name, Rickleen, R-I-K-L-E-E-N. You have a similar thing to me where I, I feel like you probably just say, look, if you can spell it, you can find me. Um, yep. <laughs> Alex, you write for, for the record. I couldn't spell your name for a while in my head, even though like we would talk on Twitter for a while. I had imagined an extra R yeah. in your last name. Happens and a lot. so anytime I wanted to tag you without a reply, I would get very <laughs> confused. Yeah, the R in my last name is floating. I think it's it's what's considered <laughs> it's like a floating rib, but it's a floating R. I've been I've been Brespis, I've been Bresbris. I've been my wife has been called Dr. Bieber before, which was really exciting for all of us. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Vespers debris um I think technically it's Yiddish, uh, but it's weird. It's it's my family came to the states through Canada, so it didn't get changed, and I'm um, sad about it every day. But at least I convinced my wife to take it, and now we can we can sort of pine for some other name together. Uh, Rickling again, R I K L E E N. That's the Twitter handle. You write for all sorts of stuff. I, I mean, I feel I, every time we do this, I'm like, how do you want me to present you? You are writer. <laughs> Writer extraordinaire, uh, creator, yeah, creator of many contents. Uh, well, ever since ever since the baby, I've, I've pulled back a little bit. Um, so most of my work is available on RotoWire. Um, I do do some stuff for drafting still, and I'll be writing the uh, <laughs> weekly waiver wire column that shows up on Yahoo. But not quite as many places as it used to. Yeah, be. just a, just a scant trio now. That's all. That's all you're looking at. Just just a just a simple three. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the pullback. That's that's what it is for us. For we fantasy folk, we we say we're pulling back, and then it's still a a kind of a weird number of things that's going on. But anyway, reason you're here, in addition to the fact that we agree on all things, and those are always fun for me to do because it's like, all right, well, here I'll let you do a lot of the talking. Uh, we did a mock draft on Tuesday, December the 1st. It was, it went surprisingly well. And when I say that, I mean, I thought I would have screwed up a whole bunch of things on the tech side. And for the most part, it actually kind of floated through and like you could see the people talking. The board was, draft board was probably a little small. I think next time I'll try to make sure that's a little bit bigger. Uh, there were complaints that we weren't announcing enough of the picks, but honestly, I figured we could post the picks at the end. We'll post a board. The picture went up. Uh, we're analyzing them on the podcast now. I wanted people watching that to just see how weirdo fantasy people interact with one another. I, and I, I think we gave them that. Yeah, I, th- I, I hope so. And I tried to make a point of at least announcing my picks when I went. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it, it was interesting. There were a couple of picks where we got some good, some good banter going. <laughs> yeah, and a, lot of, and a lot of people just kind of attacking each other, knowing what their next pick was and exclusively troll picking which probably happens a little bit less in real drafts than in an industry mock draft. But let's talk about your team. You had pick number sure. one, and I budgeted for that. 
uh, knowing we could just yammer here for four or five minutes at the front end of our hit <laughs> because pick number one is James Harden. And the only reason to be even remotely afraid is that, you know, and I'm trying to not really timestamp when we're recording this because I don't know what day of this coming week it's going to air. Um, but recently, I should say, we found out that James Harden was not following team COVID protocols and what is was instead at a massive birthday party for a rapper. Uh, and so now he has to work out by himself. And the quotes coming out from the Houston camp are not promising. I, honestly, I thought they were trying to convince him to stay last week with all the moves they were making or two weeks ago, whenever the hell that happened. Now it really does seem like they're just willing to get real awkward. Does it matter is my question for you. Cause we can all see that it's awkward. Does it matter for James Harden at number one? I don't think so. Um, I, so I think that there are a couple of things this year with James Harden. One is it's actually sort of strikes me as a slightly down year to have number one, just because I think that the gap between James Harden and two, three, four, five is less than in previous years, but I do still think he's the clear one. Um, I don't really see, I, I just think he's unlikely to get traded to anywhere other than Philadelphia because I know that the new management in Houston is bad, or at least, you know, early indications are not promising, but there's no one other than Philadelphia who can put together a good package for him. And at Philadelphia, he would be just as productive. The, if he does end up somehow going to Brooklyn, which I, I don't see how Brooklyn gets together enough assets that, Houston pulls the trigger. Um, you know, the, he's the mo- he's runner up MVP like two years in a row and MVP before that. He's he's still a dominant force. You know, I, I, he's even if we assume he gets traded to the worst of the possible scenarios, which is Brooklyn, he's still a top five pick. Yeah, I, I can't help it. I mean, I you know, I generally don't disagree with you. Um, you know, I, I guess the question is on the Houston front, do they at any point say, fine, Brooklyn is as good as it gets? Do we, do we think it gets to that point? Like in terms of no. the offer going back. Sorry, that wasn't that clear. No, I, 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 I don't think so. Okay. Uh, second pick, number 24. This was actually one of the few you had that surprised me a little bit. Jamal Murray at 24. Um I, I take it from your selection or you're not at all afraid of the workload in the bubble for him then? No, I'm not. I, I think, first of all, I, I don't love the end of the second round. Um, so I really, I was hoping Butler or Aiton would have fall, fallen to that pick. Um, they went just before. I was very happy with Nurkic at that, you know, back-to-back pick. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we'll um, get to him in a second. Yeah, and Jamal Murray, I he's one of those players where I'd prefer to have him around 30 to 35, but I don't see 30 to 35 people to have ahead of him. Um, and I, I do think that the bubble wasn't you know, a factor of workload. I think it was him taking a, a step in his development and in his confidence and in his game. Jamal Murray... Uh... It, let's, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you. I'm gonna fight a little bit because I don't know who wants to hear me just agree with that and everything. Um, so I'm gonna put you on the hot seat here. What does his game do 
to get him to that next level? Is it mostly a usage scoring assist type of thing? Do you see a jump in any other category? Um, no, no. I, I, I think that just the willingness to take some more shots and continue to do so relatively efficiently. Um, and, you know, I, maybe there's some increase in his free throw attempts. Um, I'm kind of hoping that that'll happen. Hmm. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, that's true. Sorry. It struck I me as a lot three. of willingness to drive to the lane. Yeah. That surprised me actually to look at his numbers and see that he only took three free throws a game last year. That seems oddly low for someone with his athleticism. Right. And, you know, during the last, whatever, um, six games of the playoffs, he was averaging six per game. Yeah. You know, it's a small sample. It's two teams, one team. Um, but it strikes me as a, a potentially relevant shift. You know, it's weird, you know, looking at the, the, the picks, when you're on a turn, and obviously you'd rather be on the front end of a turn than the back end because you get to start with James Harden, uh, you, you have a lot of decisions here knowing that basically like, you know, a quarter, like, I don't know, what do you want to call it? One-sixth, one-fifth of the, the relevant players won't come back to you every time it moves away from your turn. So you got Nurk at 25, going back-to-back at 24 and 25 now to start the the beginning of the third round. There is absolutely no chance he's still on the board coming back to you at the end of the fourth at 48. Yusuf Nurkic in the bubble was a first-rounder. Really impressive, by the way, given that he hadn't played in a year and four months before that. Uh, You know, I, I don't know that we think he can keep up that type of pace, but if he's healthy this year, there's... You know, the, the sky's kind of the limit for this dude. He, he seems to have also semi-fixed his free throw percent. H- how high do you think Nurk can go? Can he actually beat this mark of 25? Or is this kind of like a, I want this guy because I think this is where he's going to be, and I don't want to risk him not getting back to me? Um, or a little of both. I have him in my yet-unveiled ranks um, <laughs> 21. So there you go. I, I have I am higher than this. I actually think that this is a slight bargain for him. Um, I first of all, I place a lot of value and just it, not just per game value, but strategic value on big men who get meaningful assists. And so, even if I thought you know basketball monsters per game score is going to spit him out as twenty five, I'm willing to bump him up a couple spots from that strategically just to have a center who can contribute meaningful assists and what let that lets me do with the le- rest of my roster. Um, and I mean, he's, he's a good player. Who's got an important role on a team that's fighting the, a team that believes that it's a top four team in the West, but we'll have to fight to get there. Um, I think he's really well set up to, to, to continue to play strong. I mean, his what was his 2018 rank uh he was in the 30s? 30 yeah he was in yeah. the 30s before the injury so he was having a hell of a year already yeah um uh, one of the things that jumps out about what he does is that in in that uh, that shortened 2018-19 season he was at 2.4 combined defensive defensive stats per game in the bubble he was at 3.4 i probably doesn't that number probably doesn't hold but it is worth pointing out correct. he's actually a pretty good defensive stat guy in fantasy and i don't know that people think about that in terms of what he brings to the table yeah i i agree 
looping all the way back around the long road down to the end of the third, turning and squealing back to the end of the fourth. Yeah, Jalen Brown at 48. You're not the first person that has told me, whether by pick or by word, that they expect big things out of Jalen Brown this year. Um, Tell me why that is, because he's a guy that, you know, I love him. He's a Cal Bear, so he's going to always have a soft spot in my heart for any former Bears because, you know, what what do we have at Cal if not some guys that are good that went there? Because Lord knows we don't do much while they're there. Uh, <laughs> 20 points, six boards, two assists, 1.2 steals, two threes. Is this the year that the free throws make the leap? What do you see as the, the move that he's about to make this season? Well, I think that just minutes and usage are going to increase with Gordon Hayward gone. You know, I mean, Gordon Hayward missed times last year but but now with him gone and with you know Kemba probably hurt for a lot of the season um Brown goes from you know the third or fourth guy to the the second guy um you know this is really Tatum and his team um and in that order but so I I think that there's a meaningful bump there and if you look at his per month numbers last season his rebounds went down by per month, but, but the rest of his stats seemed to overall at least in, increase um, as the season went along. So I think that he, he's sort of on an upward trajectory overall. Um, I think his scoring and usage are absolutely going to increase. Um, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, his best month was December for assists but for 12 games, he had two and a half, 2.8 assists. And then January 2.4, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him keep that number up in the 2.8 to three range. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon at 49. Um, this one actually surprised me a tiny bit too. Uh, if only because he had kind of the two, his, his season was a tale of two halves. So I, I take it you're looking more for what we saw in the first half of last year coming into this season. Uh, no, this is the worst pick I made in the draft. <laughs> this pick was, I, I tried to give you an of, opening there. <laughs> this pick was, I mean, don't, 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 don't get me wrong. I like Malcolm Brogdon. You know, this is 49. I'm probably going to have him in the late fifties. So it's not like I, he's like, I think it's a, the worst pick anyone ever made. Um, I think there are plenty of worse other picks throughout this draft, but I think that this was my worst pick. I was really counting, you know, when Eric was up, so there were three picks before me, um, and I had DeMontis Sabotis, Gordon Hayward, and Jalen Brown as my three players in the queue, and all three of them were (laughs) were down a little bit in the system. I was just feeling super confident that I was going to get two of those three, and I didn't need to figure out who my fourth person was going to be. And then Eric took DeMontis, and Adam King took Gordon Hayward, and then I was stuck with, you know, a minute and a half to figure yeah. out who I was pairing with Jalen Brown. That's the worst feeling. Uh, you, <laughs> like, and and what can I say to you? Like, you sh- you shouldn't have to have really had a longer queue than that. You had three guys in your queue with three picks in front of you. Like, a lot of things have to go wrong for that to leave you in a weird spot. It happened to me in one of my leagues last year, and I've been moaning and whining about it on this podcast <laughs> ever since, where I actually had a queue of seven guys with 10 picks ahead of me. And I was like, okay, I'm good. And they yeah. all got wiped out. And I just, yeah. I went full panic. I got lucky <laughs> with one of them. I took Jonathan Isaac with one of my two panic picks. Uh, I mean, he was obviously was, things yeah. were going very well pre-injury. And then right. the other one in a, in a, in like a double panic, I took Julius Randall and I've been mad about it for now 
uh, <laughs> we're at 14 months and counting. I've been mad about that pick. It just, it kills you. And I, I don't know. I mean, is the lesson there to just, when you think you have a long enough queue, just put one more guy in there and then you can finally sit back? Yeah, I mean, honestly, because I, I had, you know, I, I, I had some amount of time where between when I set that queue at those three and I was like, these are the three and I will be really happy if I get two of these three. There was a time when I could have still added to my queue, but I was just confident that I was going to get two of those three. And, and that's, that's the lesson is, is you, there, you shouldn't be taking downtime in your draft. You, even yeah, if yeah, even if you think you're good, you still should be coming up with okay. But what's my in case of emergency plan? That's so, all. That's, that's all well and good. The, yeah, I mean, this is, of, I had the timer I, set at 50, 50 seconds for this, so you didn't exactly yeah. have a boatload of time to readjust. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I really what I wanted there was to I really wanted Demontis because I, I wanted to be able to pair the bigs with the, the good passing bigs. Um, I love the Montes Nurkic as a pairing. Um, I'm going to have that on a couple of my teams this year. And when I couldn't get that, the reason I pivoted to Brogdon um, was because I, my team was filled with pretty much really e- efficient shooters. Um, you know, Harden of course is notorious for, for his incredible free throw percentage. Um, all of my guys are, pretty good especially for their position um in both field goal percentage and free throw percentage and so brogdon i was looking for a guy who i like i trust has some upside and was going to build on that strength and not hurt it i want to give you another out here um gordon hayward's adp on yahoo right now is like 75 so right like you not you shouldn't really have been thinking this is a guy that could go off here in the couple picks before me. This is the weirdness you get, though, in an industry draft. Guys are going to be all over the map because everybody has their dudes they're targeting. Uh, guys are trying to screw with each other, although this wasn't this wasn't that. Um, but it does tend to go weird. It's why I like looking at drafts of sort of this the full industry one, which is what we're looking at right now. I love to look at drafts that are like site specific if you look at like a roto world to draft you can see what their people are hoop ball draft kind of yeah. the same thing um and then i love looking at a, a public draft to know where guys are actually going to go you, you try to figure out you know the people in your league that maybe aren't reading spending four to six hours uh every day reading through draft guides and stuff like that uh you kind of put that all together and you can get an idea of where guys are generally going to go but mm-hmm. Like Sabonis, that's about where he was going. So there was probably a fear in you. You were like, all right, this dude might not get to me. But yeah. Gordon Hayward, you probably thought, yeah, you know, like 80, 90% chance he gets to me. Anyway, the fact of the matter is you you ended up having to pivot and uh, and you're not pleased with it. I guess that's the short version. Uh, let's yeah. We can move on to, uh, to round six on the way back. This was your dedication uh, back-to-back, <laughs> as I recall. You blew a kiss to Aaron Bruski, and then you blew a kiss to me in back-to-back picks with Rashawn Holmes at 72 and Al Horford at 73. I have no qualms with either of these, but I'll just sort of give you the floor here. Talk through Rashawn, and, you know, obviously there is the, the cloud of the Kings doing Kings things to screw up someone with one of the best fantasy stat sets at the big man position. And then with Horford, uh, I mean, he's like the one veteran on Oklahoma City which brings both good and bad um but again I'll, I'll turn the floor over here I don't want to ask any leading questions on these guys so I mean 
I, I'm not as public in my, uh, I, don't, I don't have quite the same reputation for Rashawn Holmes' love um, as Brucey. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you need to actively tweet with his family to get to that level. Yeah, but um, I mean, he is a player who has been on my radar literally since before he ever took the court. Um, the one time that I, uh, or, you know, it was at um, 76ers Media Day back before his rookie season. And the only takeaway that I had, like everything that they say at these media days is so useless. And the one thing that I took away was like, huh, people kept bringing up this Rashawn Holmes guy that I've never heard of when, <laughs> when they, when he wasn't the question. And so like, he's been on my radar. And so he's, he is also kind of a personal favorite, but he, he has such a great fantasy friendly stat profile um, that the only question with him is minutes. That's really the only concern. Yeah. And yes, when the question, when the biggest concern is minutes and you're talking about a player on the Kings, that's terrifying. But we're talking about, you know, the end, the last pick in the sixth round, a guy who has top 30 upside, if things, if he plays 30 minutes a game, he can easily be a top 30 player because his skill set is so fantasy friendly and his competition for minutes are Frank Kaminsky, who's practically out of the league <laughs> and, and Hassan Whiteside who coaches sour on quickly. Yes. He had a great year last year and he's another player with a, a fantasy friendly skill set. If he can, can maintain minutes, but he's not exactly someone who, has a reputation or a history of like being able to stay on the court. You know, he, they even benched him back in, I think it was his last season in Miami when they didn't have a backup center and they still were just like, it doesn't matter that you're the only person who can play this position. We're not playing you anymore. Um, And so, you know, for him personally, I hope that he doesn't have that happen to him again. I don't have any problems with Whiteside as a player, but I think that, Holmes is certainly positioned for he, he he's the depth this depth chart doesn't scare me at all and he's so fantasy friendly um and for Horford um again we're looking at an effective passing big man I we've already talked about how much I like this and this strikes me as like you know what the Thunder did with Chris Ball last year is exactly what's going to happen with Horford this year um a guy who was not necessarily in the best situation to make the most of his talents the season before, who people thought was old, who is now going to be given an important, prominent leadership role on a team that needs to rely on him, where he can play a lot of minutes, and then at the end of the year, they're going to turn around and trade him for a first-round pick. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> it, the story is so plainly obvious. I'm honestly surprised that he fell this far in an industry draft when what was he two years ago top 50 i'm pulling it up as we talk um yeah he uh, he basically walks into that he walks in for the most part uh i think i think the only reticence top 40 yeah i think the only reticence with folks is uh with chris paul one of the the tags he had to shed was injury issues so there was sort of an impetus to play him more and the team was still good enough to fight for a playoff spot and they ultimately did make one they're so awful this year that i i think you do have to be a little bit worried about horford resting 
at the end of the year and on some back-to-backs. Like, he probably doesn't play as many games as Chris Paul did. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. it's the same exact story. His contract is too bloated to move him right now. He has to show everybody he's not uh, you know, old, like that old of a goat. And whatever, especially in a Roto draft, which is what this is, a Roto league with a games cap, he, he fits the profile perfectly. If he misses 10, 12, 13 games, who cares? Because his per-game mark is going to be so nice, you can just fill in the rest with some backup. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, you blew the kiss, and I, I accepted it. I graciously <laughs> caught the kiss and tucked it in my, my breast pocket here. Um, end of eighth round. This is the year, man. I'm so glad... I was, I've been excited to talk about Blake Griffin. This is the first year I've been excited to talk about Blake Griffin since like 2013 <laughs> because it took, it really did. It took like five or six years of him being almost unrosterable in fantasy to finally fall to where he now is kind of a value. You got him at 96. Uh, like, there, there's, that's a why the hell not moment, isn't it? Exactly. I, if he, plays yeah big if but yeah like yeah it it is it's a big if but if he plays if he can stay on the court you know what's the this season 72 games so say he plays 60 games misses 12 is there a chance that his per game value is is worse than 96 doubt it like like there there's odds of that happening are like zero percent almost i i I don't even see how that would be possible. Yeah, he missed 10% um, two years ago uh, when he had a good season with Detroit. He missed 10% of their team's games, and he was number 53 by total. So even if there's a substantial step back from that, uh, you have a you have a pretty good uh, amount of buffer between 53 and 96. And, wh- I mean, what is really the worst case? If you take Blake Riven at 96 and he finishes at, like, 102, are you going to throw a temper tantrum? No, I mean that's no. that's the same. 106, 102 right. and 96. That's that is effectively the same number in fantasy. It, it's so I, the way I've been talking about Blake Griffin this offseason is his ADP um does not factor in his upside. His ADP is only like if things go sort of not worst case but like sort of a relatively bad case you know, then yeah, 96 will be fair value, but there's a 30 or 40% chance that he plays 60 plus games and ends up in the top 50. Isn't it amazing how long it took for the public to finally drop him this far? Like I I thought maybe it would never happen, but it really, it did. It's, it's, I don't know. This is, this is sort of fun for me. This is almost like fun with numbers, but in a different way, this is the answer to how long will it take for people to finally sour on Blake Griffin? This is it. This finally is it. Yeah, exactly. That's I don't um, know. There's something fun about that. Sorry, I, I cut I'm you off there. I'm excited to have him in multiple leagues. Yeah, I think I probably will too for the first time in six to seven years. It's it's wild. Um, yeah. Your next guy is someone that I was laughed at for taking in the last round last year, and he ended up being relatively good. Um, this year, you've got to think he's on the trade block, so I assume that's factored in a little bit, but we're also talking about the ninth round. So um, Derek Rose. Uh, ex- explain a little bit what you're expecting out of his season. Cause I'm expecting he's traded partway through. Um, reasonable. Um, so just in terms of the pick, I'll, I'll say this is another one where, you know, this time I had a backup plan ready, but I was really hoping for Mike Conley who ended up going one pick before. Um, 
I was hoping to do Blake Griffin, Mike Conley, not Blake Griffin, Derek Rose. Uh, I needed a point guard. And I think that both of those older point guards are kind of undervalued right now. And I think that Mike Conley should be substantially more valuable than Derek Rose, but I think both of them are undervalued and I'm happy to get both of them. I'm going to jump in and and semi cut you off here only to point out Mike Conley is kind of the last of this group of point guards. Then you, you move down the board quite a bit before getting into the next chunk of them that are kind of more in that top 120, top 130 range. So Mm -hmm. just to sort of set the table, the, the number of guards after Conley goes off the board in fantasy drafts in general is pretty damn low. Um, so Derek Rose, I, my, I I think he's going to be pretty similar. I'm expecting his numbers to be pretty similar to what they were last year. Um, I think that, you know, Killian Hayes might pose a problem towards the end of the season. Um, and you know, this year is sort of a weird year in that I think a lot of rookies are going to get chances, um, sooner than they would in other years because veterans are going to get rests because the game, the schedules are more condensed. Um, But I, I just, I think that unless Killian Hayes shows what would be to me a surprising readiness to go from the jump, then Derek Rose is going to maintain the starting position. You know, he might get traded, but I'm not convinced especially with the play-in tournament this year. I, if, if Blake and Derrick Rose can both play 60 games, are we sure this isn't a, a play-in team in the East? Hmm. I, and so, <laughs> honest to God, I have no idea. There's like six teams that are probably going to be about six games under 500 in the East and might all be in that bucket. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, so I think that the... So I guess I'm not expecting a trade because I am because I think that they're going to be going for um, unless injuries really decimate that this roster is shallow and a couple of injuries to to basically Derek Rose and Blake Griffin and they, I don't see any chance. But if those two are like moderately healthy, I do think this team has a shot of of making that that ninth, 10th seed and the Pistons are so desperate to, for anything resembling success that I think that they would cling to that. Even if, you know, a unbiased observer might say, eh, maybe just sell Derek Rose and, and tank for a better playoffs for a better draft. Spot. Yeah. You're, you know, you're actually kind of preaching to the choir a little bit on that front. Um, I think bringing in Jeremy Grant was something that, yeah. that, you know, this is a team that doesn't want to just be horrible uh, it's a season win total of 23 and a half, and I'm relatively hard on the over with this one. It's hard to uh, to lose that many games in the Eastern Conference when you actually have a handful of veterans on your team, and they actually do have a handful now. Derek Rose, you mentioned Blake yeah. Griffin, Jeremy Grant. For some reason, they gave a bunch of money to Mason Plumley, but he is a veteran, and he's their center now. Uh, they brought in... Worst. That contract... So weird. Oh, they were just like, you know so what? Bad. Screw it. Free agency is starting. I want all the centers. I made a uh, uh, a obscure video game reference as it was happening to uh, a game series called Katamari Damashi, where they were just rolling a sticky ball over all the centers in the NBA. But it does, even if it's harebrained, 
it does show that they were actually trying to do something. They don't want to be awful. They'll probably still be a pretty damn bad basketball team, but yeah. there are a lot of them in the Eastern Conference, and some of them have to sort of rise to the top of that weird muck in the like 9 through 14 uh, grouping. Yeah, and this team, you know, depending on what roster they throw out, you know, if they go out with Rose, Griffin, and Okafor, then they're going to be sort of offense heavy. But if they roll out with, you know, DeLon Wright, um, Jeremy Grant, Seku, and, um, you know, Plumley, I've heard Hayes is decent have... too, by the way. I don't know anything about rookies, but I've heard Killian Hayes is pretty good. Yeah, but like they could actually... They have some stout defensive lineups if they ever choose to roll with them. You know, I'm not talking number a top three in the in the league, but <laughs> no. quality defense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, we're not going to oversell it here. It's just that they are expected to be one of the worst teams in the entire NBA, and I think they're probably. I think we both agree now. They're like one click above in that worst grouping. They're not atrocious. Yeah, they're not the Cavs. Yeah, they're just they're just bad. They're just quietly bad is where they're probably at this year. <laughs> they're not the Cavs. They're not the Knicks. Right. Um, and Mr. Irrelevant for this league, which is silly because it's only 10 rounds, but I got I to gotta use it. And you want another point guard here. Is that just in case anything goes wrong with the previous point guard? Or Jeff Teague, by the way, I'll throw the name out there. He is the uh, backup point guard in Boston. One other note that I'm sure you're about to mention. Boston players tend to play so hard that they end up injured for about 10 to 15 <laughs> games every year. Uh, which means that that's probably 10 to 15 games he's starting in. Uh, I'm going to stop taking parts of your answer away now. And <laughs> tell me about Jeff Teague. So if we were going more than 10 rounds, I would not have taken him here. It was only, I, I took him here because it was the last round. And if we were doing 12 rounds, I would have probably taken him with the 12th, that last <laughs> pick in the 12th round. Like by ADP, this is a bad pick, but I thought he was a more interesting player to talk about than other people left on the board. And I wanted to call attention to him for people who are observing. This. I appreciate um, you. I appreciate you making a pick with the future podcast in mind. That's, that's the sign of a great guest, by the way. <laughs> Much appreciated. Happy to help. Yeah. <laughs> Blowing a kiss um, to me mid draft, so, giving me something to talk about on the last one. You're just, you're, you're, you're just all, you're thinking about others. I love that. <laughs> happy to help. Um, I, I I don't think that he's washed yet. Um, you know, I, there are a couple other people in the fantasy community who have explicitly said that they now they think that Teague is washed. And you know, if they end up being right, then I'll end up dropping him. He's the last pick. It doesn't matter. But if he's not washed, this is a guy who has a you know is a very effective passer. Um, doesn't take enough shots to to do any damage to my field goal percentage um you know categorical scarcity uh, an effective passer is really important and especially with Kemba Walker definitely going to miss some games I mean with the amount of, of four games in six nights that all of these teams are playing just Kemba Walker's going to miss a bunch of games even if he weren't entering the season with knee problems yep and I, you know, I, and smart, I would and smart's love, as miss a Celtics 10. fan, I would love for the rookie and Carson Edwards to prove capable of playing meaningful minutes, but I'll believe it when I see it. And I think that Teague will be, I think, I think that Teague and Marcus Smart are going to, 
take the bulk of those point guard minutes when Kemba's out. And if Teague is getting 25 plus minutes, that's six plus assists. I for am the last round pick are hard to beat. I am floored and I, I'm trying to find him on this board here. And I, I, I don't want to do a search because I know it's going to bloop. Um, I am floored at how late Marcus Smart is going in non-industry drafts. He went uh, sort of late sixth round in this one. Yep. But he, he's going in the 80s and 90s in a lot of drafts. And he is he's almost a guaranteed, minus a, a catastrophic injury, he's basically a guaranteed top 70, probably better. Uh, that, that one... That one boggles yeah. my mind. Why, why are why are people down I, on Marcus Smart? I mean, it, it, his role got bigger, and he was already in that sixty range last year. Yeah, I mean, I think that fantasy managers, especially the public at large, tends to be blinded by low scoring players. Um, I think that that definitely hurts him. The fact that he um, is, you know, even. Even in last season when he was playing 32 minutes a game, he still couldn't quite crack five assists a game. There's not much flashy about his stat profile. But that said, if you, I don't have the numbers in front of me, his numbers when Kemba is out for the game are, were just absolutely excellent. And even factoring in all the games that he played with Kemba where, where he was coming off the bench and all that, um, like you said, he was top 60, top 65. Um it's it's just i mean sometimes the public is wrong on some players and and at the moment the public is just very wrong on Marcus Smart and there's no we don't have to assign reason to things that <laughs> that don't have reason <laughs> yeah i um i don't know and keep yelling about it on podcasts and see if it changes anything it <laughs> tends not to is what i've found but yeah i mean back on the Jeff Teague front and then i'm going to hit you up for a, you know the sort of the the prize at the end of the pod hit um yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't thought a ton about Jeff Teague this year, but I will say just kind of the, the thing with Boston is that Marcus Smart being their kind of heart and soul is a guy who plays himself into minor injuries over the course of a season. He'll miss two games here, two games there, and then he sort of wills everyone else to play that same way. And, and you notice that last season, pretty much everyone besides Jason Tatum missed a handful of games that's probably going to happen again this year, and it does create kind of a path for Jeff Teague even outside of the Kemba Walker stuff because Gordon Hayward is gone, so that's already an opening. Uh, Kemba's a, a fat red question mark at this point, and then you'll probably have aforementioned Marcus Smart missing a dozen, you know, somewhere between 7 and 12 games, and Jalen Brown will probably miss 8 or 9 games, and who the hell else knows what's going on there, where Teague is... I mean, Teague might slide into the starting lineup for those games. I, I, it's hard to know. So there's, it's not, it's not dead in the water. And I'm glad you threw him in there because it's kind of an interesting player that it, it really isn't getting talked about a lot. Uh, and I'm glad we got to. But here is the the juicy question. This is what everybody always asks for. Alex, some sort of sneaky value. The kids call it a sleeper. I try not to because who's really like we're all obsessed with fantasy sports is there really any player we don't know at this point that we're all sleeping on so i prefer to just call it a nice value who's your nice value guy or or one of them well i like the term sneaky value because that's actually the guy i want to talk about um actually i i have a a second author for if you're in a deeper league than even we're talking about and you want a sneaky late pick, um, Mo Wagner, he's sort of interesting to me. I won't focus on that. Um, a sneaky pick for a standard league, a, a late standard league. Um, I, Kevin Herter, 
he's a guy who I spent the first half of last um, last season railing against, and then he finally in the second half of last season really turned it around and became, a, you know, a fantasy auto start. Um, and everyone was high on him, and everyone was high on him. And then the Hawks acquired Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich, and now all of a sudden. Everyone has dropped Kevin Herter way lower than he was going last year, um, which I'm just, I'm not sure that, I I feel like we might be overreacting here. So, you know, (laughs) the Hawks have, you know, um, Zach Lowe was talking about this on his recent podcast with the Hawks coach. And he was trying to ask the the coach, you know, he was like, so if Clint Capella, John Collins, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Trey Young are starting or at least playing major roles then you know what only there's only room for one of the three DeAndre Hunter Kevin Herter Cam Reddish to you know stick in the starting lineup and the other ones are probably going to have to see a smaller role than they had last year well okay let's d- dive in on that of those three don't we think Herter's the one most likely to to keep that extra spot don't we think Hunter and Reddish are the ones who are more likely to take a step back. And this is a well-run team. This is a team where the talent will rise. Are, don't we think Herder is more talented than Hunter and Reddish? Um, and so, sure, I don't expect him to provide quite the same amount of value that he had over the final months of last season. But I think he can easily still hit 28 to 30 minutes a game at least. Um, if not more. And if he can do that, there's no reason he can't be at least a borderline top 100 play, if not a bit higher. And Alex Rickling is officially off the hot seat. By the way, this this short pause there that no one's going to hear, but I'm talking about anyway, was me forgetting to turn my microphone back on. Uh, (laughs) This is me like sniffling in a, we're finally running our heater in Southern California for the first time in uh not 12 11 months probably it's a it's a special existence um alex you're the man man like (laughs) fat thank you for making picks in a mock draft that we're set up to talk about uh appreciate the shout out picks and always a massive pleasure to talk to you it's also fun i wish we could be i wish all of us had more time during this very weird 2020 year to talk about fatherhood and things of that nature but um, assuming we can make the schedules line up, can we get you back on early in the season at some point? Sure. My man. Absolutely. My man. He is Alex Rickling. You can follow him on Twitter by spelling his last name, R-I-K-L-E-E-N. That's the entire handle. He's writing fantasy at Rotowire, DK, and Yahoo. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. It occurs to me after talking to Alex that I probably could have made at Bespris my Twitter handle. It's like, if you have a, if you have a, difficult enough last name you can just why bother with the first name on twitter i could have just been at bespris which i think would have been pretty cool i like that he's just at rickling on twitter big thank you once again to alex not only for breaking down his team but also dropping in listen i i've i realize i've lost the battle to get rid of the term sleeper so uh an alex rickling sleeper sleepers the goodies, the goods, the presents, the things you wait for, the 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 Easter eggs, the the sweet nuggets at the end of the podcast. Uh, that's good stuff. Love it. 
Um, depth charts now. Let's let's head back into the Pacific Division. Let's do a quick sweep there, and we'll get you wrapped up here on this Tuesday pod. The Golden State Warriors first on the docket, of course, without Clay Thompson for the year now. He was going to be their starting shooting guard, but after he went down, the Warriors swung a deal for Kelly Oubre Jr., shifting Andrew Wiggins down, or those two guys are largely interchangeable at the shooting guard and small forward spots. Steph Curry, your starting point guard. Draymond Green is your starting power forward, although he right now, along with their rookie James Wiseman, uh, the the news broke yesterday that they both have COVID, so we don't know if that's going to delay the start of their season in any way. It, It certainly would delay conditioning stuff. Wiseman is, what, he's like 14 years old, so he'll most likely be totally fine. You may see some effects on Draymond Green. He's not, you know, he's not an old man. He's not like a, a geriatric the way that, you know, the, as the older you get, the more you seemingly you are affected by this illness. But, you know, we hear about guys that get pretty beat up by it, and it takes weeks. So we'll see if Draymond is all right. It doesn't change, by the way, my feelings on his particular draft situation if only because I wasn't extraordinarily high on Green Green anyway, I'm somewhat high on him, but not not generally not as high as he's been going. I thought he would fall farther this year, but I think there's a lot of everybody thinks it's bounce back time potential. And then the center spot with the Warriors is kind of the only question mark on the roster. Marquise Chris locked down the job last year. He was great for them down the stretch, but supposedly Kevon Looney is healthy again. And Wiseman can play center if they want him to. I mean, you know, he's not the world's most gigantic human as a young fella, but the Warriors have some options here. They could also slide Draymond Green up. He's played plenty of small ball center in his career. Eric Paschal could slip in and play power forward if Dre were to be playing center. Uh, Warriors could go very small, play Oubre at power forward, and then run an Oubre, Bazemore, Wiggins three wing thing going on. So I don't know that there's any guarantee of someone soaking up all the center minutes. I think you can likely pass on Marquise Chris on draft day. And then, you know, my feeling on rookies, I have, I'm going to call it a soft spot for big man rookies. Um, I just think that they have a slightly easier path to potential. Like, you know, if I were to look up James Wiseman, and, you know, get a better feel for, say, you know, what what is his free throw stroke like? That's the kind of thing you should be looking up. He's seven foot one. Um, so he he's obviously a, a a tall dude, but he's he's a kid, you know? He he's he's not gonna be twenty until the end of March this season, which means he's gonna get knocked around, he's gonna get himself into foul trouble, but you look at it as kind of a okay, well, could he come in and could he have a profile that mirrors some other uh, rookie big men before? Like, you know, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna assume that he comes in like an Anthony Davis because he's not just he's not gonna be the superstar on a team, and he's not gonna come in like a cat. But you know, could he come in? Oh, I don't know. I mean, even an example from last year would be like a Brandon Clark, who was an older draft pick. So filled out a little bit more. It wasn't expected to do a ton of things, but very good field goal percent. Doesn't kill you in free throw percent. And so then what everything else is kind of just a little bit of gravy on top of it. For what it's worth, Wiseman was a uh, 70% 
foul shooter in his one year college ball on extremely high volume. He was he was hitting about six out of nine per game, a tiny bit over that mark. So, you know, there's a possibility. He he was a 20 and 11 guy with three blocks a game at Memphis. How much of that translates over? The assumption would be a decent amount. Uh, Certainly the the competition is going to be a whole heck of a lot better. But if he goes out there and, you know, he can shoot 55% or plus from the field on a, on a very good Warriors team, or at least a decent one. Uh, and let's say he does take, you know, four free throws a game and makes just under three of them. He doesn't kill you. And that's kind of what you're looking for with a rookie big man. So he's not, I, I, I like to joke about certain big men kind of being dead to me, or rookies, I should say, being dead to me. The problem, of course, is, you know, Wiseman isn't exactly falling in drafts. You know, he's not, that. that's the other side of the rookie thing. There are rookies every once in a while that I'm not adamantly opposed to putting on your fantasy team. They just are also ones that tend to get drafted relatively high. So you run into this, this wall, really, where, you know, it is a guy... James Wiseman, by the way, he's being drafted around 100 in Yahoo Leaks right now, and I, I I have to think that that actually trends upward. I'm not opposed to it, you know, taking him in like the ninth round and just see what happens, but it could be a really bumpy road. And, uh, I mean, you know how I get to these points with rookies. Like, there's, there's just too many risk factors involved. There's just fewer risk factors with the big man. The Clippers are the next team out west. We'll go over very quick. This is an easy one. I mean, this is a super easy one. Um, Kawhi Leonard, stud. Paul George, great bounce back opportunity. Pat Beverly, he'll play himself into an injury, but you know he'll be okay until that point. Still, uh, Clippers re uh, re-signed Reggie, Reggie Jackson. Lou Williams is still there, so uh, the free run that Pat Bev had, not even last year necessarily, but the year before that, is largely gone. Marcus Morris, uh, once he got to the Clippers, there just wasn't enough there for him as a guy that was relying on usage to get his fantasy value in New York. He needed to take a lot of shots, make a lot of threes. It was a lot of scoring for him. He's not going to be counted on to do that in L.A., so he is right out. And so your only question is the center spot. And I don't really care who starts. I think the Clippers might stick with what they did last year and start Ivica Zubats. He'll end up with, you know, some 20-odd minutes a game last season. I think he was in the 18 range, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 18 and a half. That probably trends up towards 20 to 21. Uh, Looking at the comparison there, Montrez Harrell was at about 28 minutes a game last year, and then there was kind of this weird, you know, someone else slotting in and, and playing goofball center minutes. It's basically Serge and Zubats at center this year. I mean, they could play Patrick Patterson there for one or two minutes a game. And that, and that's where you get slightly under 48 when you combine the two guys' minutes. So, you know, if you're looking at Zubots at 20-21, you're probably looking at Surge in the 25-26 range. Honestly, both of those guys could have value in that number of minutes. Zubots was 152 in 18 minutes a game. If eight rebounds and seven uh, or eight points and seven and a half rebounds trends up towards, say, now, if we're, we're talking about an extra 15% on his minutes or so, that would get him close to 10 points and uh, pretty close to you know 10 and 9 with like 1.1 blocks per game. He's a low-end center. You know, he's racing towards the top 100. Meanwhile, for Serge Ibaka, 
He was number 113 uh, or thereabouts last year. Let me double check and make sure I got all my numbers right because these guys played, uh, let's go pre-bubble. That's where things get a little bit discombobulated. I got to make sure I'm resetting my parameters here. Ibaka was actually number 81 on a per-game basis last year. Uh he played in 50 pre-bubble games, so he did miss a, a little bit of time last season um, at 16-8 and eight in 27 and a half minutes a game. So, I mean, I don't think that his numbers change all that much from year to year. The, the potential upside, if you're thinking about it, is could his blocks actually come back at all? I would hope so, but I actually don't know that it's a guarantee. So he's a very safe, very boring fantasy pick. I get it. Like, as you get later in a draft, they, they, he's there, but... I mean, the Clippers really could be a two-fantasy-player team this year. Luke Kennard, he doesn't have a well-rounded enough game to do something for them off the bench. Lou Williams, not enough usage with Kawhi and Paul George healthy. I, I mean, I, Surgeon and Zubots are kind of your closest potentials there. And Surge, I don't know, what? Depending on how healthy he is, he's probably looking at a number near 100 that's not that exciting. Zubot's probably isn't that far away from there either. So, you know, I, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'll pass. The Lakers uh, could also actually end up being a two-fantasy player team, although certainly this year it feels like they're closer to having more. They were basically a two-fantasy player team last season with LeBron and AD as the obvious choices, and then you kind of scour the team this year. Dennis Schroeder will probably do enough to be on fantasy teams. He finished last year at number 113, although he was trending up hard as the year went on. Uh, he played in 63 games, so he showed himself to be quite durable last season. You know, his his role this year is going to be worse. It's just going to be worse. There's no question about Like, if you're the third guy behind LeBron and AD, you're just not going to have enough to do. He'll be fine, but he'll be more like the Schroeder from a year or two before where you were like, all right, well, I don't know that there's, you know, he's going to be overvalued because he does need to be doing a lot to get to that fantasy-relevant point. So probably passing on him. Uh, Montrez Harrell is your next most likely guy to have some kind of fantasy value in L.A. He, uh, he played 63 games with the Clippers last year, averaged 19-7 and seven with a block and half a steal, 58% from the field, high-volume, bad foul shooter, which which depressed his number. So he was 97 uh, by averages. He was quite a bit better than that by totals, largely because he, you know, he played in 60 ball games. Uh, he's gonna get he's gonna get some time. He'll get playing time because uh, Javale McGee is gone, Dwight Howard is gone, Marcus Sol is in. Marcus Sol is also quite old. Uh, they're just, it's going to be a mix and match kind of thing. Harrell and Schroeder are going to be the guys expected to come off the bench and do some stuff. I'm just not excited about him either. I don't, this isn't a guy I'm targeting in any way. I, I don't see upside for Montrez, even where he's going in drafts. The, the upside is like, maybe he gets a tiny bit over his ADP and then Marcus Sol, you're not touching at all. So it, the only other, I guess that we should at least take a second to ask whether or not Wesley Matthews is in the picture. And the answer is nah. He'll be doing Danny Green stuff this coming year. Danny Green, uh, this most recent season, was number 134. Matthews might be a little bit more aggressive with his three-point shot than Green. Danny took just seven shots a ball game, but the Lakers have a lot of wings 
they have a lot of guys. You know, that I guess they're not all wings, but they have a lot of guys they can rotate in there. They got KCP, Alex Caruso at the guard spot. Uh, they did retain Alfonso McKinney, which was sort of surprising. Uh, Kuzma slides down to play small forward at times. There's just there's just not enough for these other guys. So pass. Probably just going two guys on the Lakers this coming year. The Phoenix Suns, these last two teams actually in the Western are your your interesting ones. Uh, Phoenix, DeAndre Ayton, obviously yes. Devin Booker, obviously yes. Chris Paul, actually a, a possibility at beating his number again this year. His usage will undoubtedly be lower than it was in Oklahoma City. Um, but his role is not that different. It's kind of keeping everybody pointed the right direction. He probably doesn't play 63 games again. So, you know, what are you looking for here? Like, he, he was in the he was basically a guy that had per-game value on the turn last season, which was very impressive. Even if he spins off a little bit, you know, I could still see him posting numbers inside the top 30 on a per-game basis. Maybe better. Maybe inside the top 25. He just has a great fantasy game. He might even have more assists this year. I don't know. Maybe about the same. What do we think is going to happen? Is he going to score a tiny bit less? I mean, 12.8 shots is not that hard to get to when you consider that Ubre in Phoenix was the guy who was taking the third big bucket of shots behind Booker and Aiden, and he's gone now. So you got Aiden Booker taking a ton of shots. Mikel Bridges, who's not a super aggressive guy. Jay Crowder, who's going to chuck some threes, but overall not a particularly aggressive guy. I mean, I think Chris Paul could get pretty damn close to what he did last year. Do it again, Chris. Why the hell not? And then Mikael Bridges, you know, he'll he'll plot along. I don't think you can go Crowder on this team. He he shot the lights out in Miami. Well, you know what? I guess you could throw him in there. It's going to come down to whether or not he gets enough minutes to uh, sustain his value. But I do think they like what he brings to the table. He's probably looking at uh, something near the edge of the top 100 as sort of as per usual. Eh, boring. Yeah, too boring. I can't do it. Yeah, the more I stare at it, the more I can't do it. Uh, like Booker a lot, like Aiden a lot, like Bridges a lot. Still super love Chris Paul. Uh, you know what? That's a less interesting team to fantasy handicap than I thought. There's just, they're, it's relatively easy. You've got four guys that are almost definitely going to be uh, solid fantasy values, two very good ones. Question, I guess, is where they're going. Booker is getting drafted super early. Uh, DeAndre Aiden. Probably pretty close to where he belongs. Aiden, ADP of about 21. Booker at 14 and a half. You know, there's the nine versus eight cat stuff on Book. He's likely to have some four turnovers a game again this year. If he's durable, he probably gets around his projection. If he's not, he, he likely falls behind it. And finally, the Sacramento Kings. Ugh, what are you guys doing out there? <sighs> they let Harry Giles go, and in that moment we thought, okay, all right, Rashawn. And then they signed Hassan Whiteside and Frank Kaminsky. And certainly for Kaminsky, he's likely not going to play a ton of minutes. But Whiteside, he was probably not signing unless someone told him he was going to play a little bit. So the Kings front court goes from logjam to logjam. Marvin Bagley, Nemanja Bielitsa, Jabari Parker, Rashawn Holmes, Hassan Whiteside, Frank Kaminsky. Those guys are all likely vying for the power forward and center minutes. In all likelihood, Bagley has the top claim to minutes, and then there's kind of like a three-way 
scrum. By the way, Harrison Barnes, you could also call power forward, although I know they want to run him at the three, and that's probably where he goes just based on kind of who's on the roster right now. But regardless, let's leave Barnes out of this discussion. Bielitsa, or Bielitsa, I should pronounce that right, Jabari Parker and Whiteside, or excuse me, uh, Bielitsa, Holmes and Whiteside are probably all kind of vying for whatever's left, and then Jabari Parker's going to get a handful as well. So you take those 96 minutes, you assume Bagley's going to get a free path to 30 to 32 of them, so that shaves it down to 64, roughly, minutes, how do those get split up between Holmes, Whiteside, Bielitsa, and Parker? If they split them evenly, it's 16 minutes a person. Blech. Blech. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that Jabari Parker doesn't, doesn't get many minutes. You know, let's give him, like, you know, some clunker bench minutes. Maybe he plays a few at the three. Give him, like, 12. Okay, 12 is not very many. He'd be pretty upset, I think, if he wasn't getting 12 minutes. That takes us down to 52 between Bielitsa, Whiteside, and Holmes. That's tough, man. Boy, I, I hope Rashawn can get his 24 minutes a game this year, but I am genuinely concerned about that. If they could promise that Marvin Bagley was not going to play any center minutes, I'd feel a whole heck of a lot better about this situation. So I am down on almost everyone in that front court, with the exception, perhaps, of Hassan Whiteside, who was so very, very good last year, but is not going to have this big starting role. And we're seeing his ADP, I don't want to say slip, because it's not like he was high and he's been falling. He's just sort of sort of uh, generally looked down upon this year. And in our industry mock, he went at 101 which I have no problem with him going at 101. His ADP right now is at about 58, but I think a lot of drafts were done uh, prior to knowing where he was going. I think that there was probably a hope that he was going to end up someplace... Uh, he was going to end up someplace where he was going to get to play a bunch. Yahoo hasn't projected to be inside the top 50, which may keep his... You know, it may keep his ADP from slipping too far, but... Uh, we, I suppose we shall see. Keep a close watch on that one. If he tumbles down the draft board, Whiteside's probably the guy in the front court that could end up being kind of an interesting value. Uh, Holmes getting squeezed out. He's still getting drafted at a pretty good number, and I think going to have trouble seeing the minutes this year. Man, someone might get hurt. I guess there's that. Harrison Barnes is a no-go. Buddy Heald, I think, could be a really cool value this season. Bogdan Bogdanovich is gone. Heald is... I don't know that he's necessarily out of the doghouse, but he can't be as deep in it as he was last season. He's going to pour in three-pointers this year, and he's going to have access to it in a faster-paced offense with De'Aaron Fox likely posting one of his better years to date. And I think there's just a lot to like, actually, in the Kings' backcourt because there really isn't anybody that can take those minutes. Corey Joseph is kind of the backup to both and then rookie Tyrese Halliburton, who they like a lot, but, you know, he ain't going to play a ton of minutes. This is a team that wants to make the playoffs this year, so they're going to be gunning for it. They're going to be running their guys out there, and it's going to be, look, if you ain't getting it done, we got enough small forwards, power forwards, and centers to rotate through, but just not that much to back up Fox and Heald. Both those guys will play 30 minutes this season, I think pretty easily. And as bad as everybody feels like Heald's season was last year, and mind you, it did finish very poorly, he was number 66 by averages, and he played in 64 ball games. I don't know that it, I mean, it, 
shot 42.9%. If anything goes up for him, he can rocket boost inside the top 50 per game. And if he's durable again, you could be looking at a Buddy Heald inside the top 35, top 40 totals with upside even beyond that. He was 35 this last year because of how durable he was. I mean, you fix his per game, fix his field goal percent by a little, give him a little more confidence this season in a better offense. 35, I mean, he could be inside the top 30. This is a, I think Buddy Heald is a really neat value this season. Is he old enough to be on the old man squad? I don't know. Uh, this one's running long, so let's let's wrap her up. Um, thank you, as always, to our sponsors on this show, mybookie.ag. Wanted to mention to you guys, uh, my DMs are open. We have some mybookie-related prizes to give out. So we've been thinking about getting into the gambling world. This is a great time to hit me up. And uh, our friends over at manscaped.com, uh, promo code over there is hoopball20. The promo code when you sign up at mybookie.ag is just hoopball. But before you do, hit me up. Shoot me a line on Twitter. Shoot me a DM, a direct message. Slide into the DMs. They're open. I've got a prize for you, friends of the program. I am Dan Vaspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Thanks again to Alex Rickling, our guest on today's show, for his breakdown and his sleeper. Back at you tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll just keep on rumbling. It's mock review season here on Fantasy NBA Today. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.